What's up, everyone? Welcome to the latest episode of Note to Scene. This week, we got new music from All Time Low, Beartooth, a radio rundown, and a deep dive on the story and influence of Drop Dead Gorgeous. You can listen to the official Note to Scene radio show over at 94.3 The X in Colorado every Saturday night from 8 to 10 p.m. local time. If you want to check it out and you're not in the area, you can download the station's app. Just search 94.3 The X in the App Store and tune in this Saturday. If you have any comments, questions, or requests for deep dives, email me at notetoscene at gmail.com. All right, let's get started. So All Time Low have released a new song called Once in a Lifetime through their label Fueled by Ramen. First off, I love this move. As I've been documenting on the show, Monsters began its fall off the charts a few weeks ago, and they had this banger just primed and ready to go. I mean, seriously, it's probably in my top 10 favorite all-time low songs of all time. They drowned Alex's vocals in layers and pitch correction, sure, but damn it, it fucking worked. The song sounds massive, and the hook just explodes. They actually co-wrote it with Andrew Goldstein, who has made a nice career for himself in the songwriting world, but you all might know him as the vocalist for the Friday Night Boys back in the day. I reached out to a buddy of mine on All Time Low's team and asked if the promo plan for the song is the same as Monsters, attack alt radio and use that momentum for Top 40, and he confirmed it. Sure enough, the song's been out for a little over a week now, and it's already shooting up the alt-radio chart, currently sitting at number 28, up over 92% in plays from where it was at this point last week. So we'll see. I really do love the track, but I'm not sure if it's the right sound they need for a true breakout hit, but I'm looking forward to tracking it regardless. In other new music news, Beartooth released a new song called The Past Is Dead, as well as announced their new album, Below, which will drop June 25th via Red Bull Records. This is the Beartooth I've been missing. The hook on this track is huge and feels like it's meant to be played in stadiums. It's so big, it honestly reminds me of some 80s hair metal moments. But it genuinely feels on the same caliber as the band's first album, Disgusting. I've had this on repeat since it dropped, and it almost reminds me of what a sequel to In Between would be, which is the band's biggest song of their career. Red Bull has already submitted it to Rock Radio, which is proof that the first single, Devastation, was really just a fan service track. I'm so excited to see what the past is dead can do for Beartooth, and I'm super excited to track it, and hopefully it jumps up those charts. Alright, on to this week's radio rundown. So since Monsters is all but finished on the charts, we're going to discontinue our all-time low tracker update and look ahead to their next single, Once in a Lifetime. Like I said, they're going with the same strategy as Monsters, attack alt-radio and use that momentum to push top 40. Currently, it's at number 28 on alt-radio, which is big considering it's only its second week. We'll see if it can make the crossover in the top 40 in a few months. MGK and Black Bear are still sitting at number 8 on top 40, but back to number 1 on alternative radio. My ex's best friend is at number 31 overall on the Hot 100. So when a song is a radio hit and not a streaming hit, it's so much more difficult to climb up the chart once you get to a certain point, which is what we're seeing here. I mean, there are multiple songs ahead of this one on the Hot 100 that aren't getting top 40 radio play at all. They're just getting streamed through the roof. So we'll see what happens with this MGK. UK track. Nothing Nowhere is still sitting at 18 on alternative radio, but still increasing in plays from the previous week. As long as songs continue climbing in plays, the advancement up the chart will come. It just takes time sometimes. 
Madsen and Avril Levine break even in position and plays at number 22, so same story there. But big story over at Rock Radio, as Architects have made a huge jump to number 6 this week, up over 10% in spins. When you have a jump this big inside the top 10 on really any chart, it's a pretty damn good sign that the momentum is only continuing to snowball, and you're looking ahead to the front of the pack at this point. But I don't want to get too ahead of ourselves here. I mean, the next step is the top five, and it's looking like we're going to get there next week, which would make Animals not only Architects' first song to ever receive U.S. rock radio play, but their first top five as well, which is just so exciting. I mean, documenting this story has been one of the most fun things I've gotten to do for work, quote-unquote, over the last seven months or so. Bring Me the Horizon's Teardrops breaks even on position and plays at number eight. Escape the Fate jumped to number 13, up 10% in plays. A Day to Remember jumped to 14, up 12% in plays. And Black Veil Brides are up one spot to number 19, up over 3.5% in plays. So lots of resetting going on for radio this week. We'll see how it all starts to shake out over the next few. Alright, so as some of you might know, earlier this week, two bands called See You Space Cowboy and If I Die First dropped a collab track called Bloodstained Eyes. For those who don't know, both of these bands have sounds fully influenced by the MySpace post-hardcore and screamo of the mid to late 2000s. If I Die First, take a little more of a paint-by-the-numbers approach, taking an obvious influence from bands like From First to Last, given the fact that FFTL guitarist Travis Richter and drummer Derek Bloom are literally in the band and I Set My Friends on Fire, which Travis also had a hand in, and then See You Space Cowboy take metalcore notes from early fashioncore bands like 18 Visions in the Agony Scene, and then post-hardcore notes from the more niche movement of MySpace mathcore, bands like Heavy Heavy Low Low and Fear Before the March of Flames. This song comes following a bit of a Mall Screamo revival going on with bands like Static Dress, Wrist Meat Razor, Bloodbather, and Kaonashi all popping up over the last few years. Now, this movement is far from any notable momentum. It's still in its infant stage and I think was really unfortunately stifled by the pandemic. Static Dress, for example, was just getting their feet wet touring and regaining some buzz just by being on the road for the first time. And then the world stopped and everyone had to put their plans on hold. But now that things are finally starting to open up, I'm really excited about what the rest of the year, but mainly 2022, holds for these bands and the small wave that's happening right now. But I wanted to lay the groundwork for this because the influence here doesn't go all the way back to early 2000s post-hardcore bands. We're not talking about Thursday or Thrice or Senses Fail or Taking Back Sunday. That early to mid-2000s post-hardcore evolved into the wave of influence that we just covered. There are so many dots we can connect here to. Too. The Used and Burt McCracken gave way to From First to Last and Sonny Moore, who gave way to Early Escape the Fate and a young Ronnie Radke. I mean, seriously, go back and look at old pics of Sonny and then Ronnie just a few years later. He was jocking Sonny's look so bad. And then Sonny during the heroin cycle versus 2002 to 2004 Burt with the long, scraggly, black hair dyed look. But that darker, mall, hot topic emo that birthed scene kids in the second half of the 2000s, that's what we can trace back this new crop of screamo bands to. But there's one band that really walked both lines of that mall core flair and math core sass to combine both worlds, and that was Drop Dead Gorgeous. 
Not only did they end up being one of the biggest bands from that post-hardcore era of the second half of the 2000s, but you can hear them in every one of these new bands. Even looking at their fans also like pages on Spotify. Drop Dead Gorgeous is the biggest throwback band to appear on any of them. So since I've gotten a ton of requests over the last few months for DDG, the drop of this new See You Space Cowboy and If I Die First song feels like the perfect tie-in. Unfortunately, for the format of my deep dives, Drop Dead Gorgeous's history was horribly documented online. And I mean horribly. A lot of things went into that, but you'd think after releasing three full-length albums, an EP, signing to a major label, and touring their asses off, there would be way more attention to detail when it came to the coverage they got. But it is what it is. So after diving through the depths of what's left of the scene's late 2000s internet underbelly, this is what I could find on the history of Drop Dead Gorgeous. So it looks like the band formed in late 2004 with the original lineup being Marcus Talich on vocals, Kyle Browning on lead guitar, Jake Hansen on bass, Danny Cooper on drums, Dan Gustafsson on rhythm guitar, and Aaron Roth on keyboards and vocals. From what I can find, Danny Stillman, who gave the band its signature squeal scream, technically wasn't even an original member, even though he apparently quickly replaced Marcus later in 2004, but I thought that was pretty interesting. And at this point, half of the band was still in high school, so they weren't touring much, if at all. So how did Rise catch wind of them? Same story as our Boys Like Girls dive last week. Pure Volume, along with some help from MySpace. But damn, that unsigned Pure Volume chart held so much power back in the day. So they signed to Rise Records in September of 2005. I can't find any of the music they had on their profiles at that point, mainly because everything Drop Dead Gorgeous and Google just relates to the movie. But the band info specifically is sparse as well. Whatever demos they did have before their first EP have been wiped from the internet. But I do want to throw in a totally random sidebar here that I stumbled across while looking for DDG demos that I had no idea about. I found a live journal post from Haley Williams on Paramore's account in 2008, so they were on the riot cycle at this point. She mentioned in the post that they had been playing shows since 2004 and then replied to a fan and talked more about that time and said Paramore was originally called Drop Dead Gorgeous, with a comma and everything. Here's what she said. We had a couple horrid names. Our first show we went by Astrafell. Google that one. Then we were actually called Drop Dead Gorgeous, with the comma and all, just like the medley band that's around now. We played Purple Door 2004 as that, and actually changed our name to Paramore the day of the show. So the 2004 Purple Door t-shirts have Drop Dead Gorgeous on them, but it's us. If anyone has that shirt, you have a literal holy grail of the scene. Anyways, back to the actual DDG. So they really didn't do any extensive touring before the release of their first full length, but they released a debut EP called Be Mine Valentine on January 10th, 2006 through Rise. It was five songs, two of which, Knife vs. Face Round 1 and Well, I Never Knew You Were So Much Fun, were re-recorded for their first album. This EP was produced by Matt Van Buven, who, from what I can find, never produced any piece of music again, or at least wasn't credited for it. These songs are just really fast, in-your-face, not much structure, not poorly produced, but also not great. 
But just with these tracks, you could tell something was different about this band. Danny's vocals are always the first thing people really take in when they listen to DDG. They're abrasive, the screams sound imperfect and squealed, and his cleans sound out of key half the time, but that's literally the point. It's like panic chords. Their sole purpose is to add to the chaos of the delivery. And DDG were the kings of scene chaos, but it definitely rubbed a lot of people the wrong way. A lot of people just wouldn't listen to them because of Danny's vocals. I remember back in the day I had a friend who genuinely wanted to be a fan but just couldn't stand to listen to Danny. It was an interesting spot because the scene, and emo as a whole, was known for huge, unforgettable melodies, and these guys sounded like nails on a chalkboard to some, but other kids just ate it up. So after the EP, they recorded a now deep MySpace scene classic called In Vogue in early 2006 with producer Chris Crummett. So Joey Sturgis was absolutely the Rise Records poster boy producer. He helped create and refine the generic core sound that was completely saturated by 2013. But Chris Crummett actually came a little before Joey for Rise. Joey's first album was The Devil Wears Prada's Dear Love in 2006. Chris's first album was for an indie emo band called Crosstide that was signed to Rise all the way back in 2002. Then he worked with Anatomy of a Ghost, Fear Before the March of Flames, and a band called Lonely Kings. Chris actually also mastered Prada's Dear Love album that Joey produced. So while Joey really helped create and refine a niche movement, Chris spread himself across many genres and many bands, helping multiple sound movements within the scene. So sometime near the beginning of 2006, Drop Dead Gorgeous recorded In Vogue with Chris, and it really wasn't anything like the scene had witnessed before. This incredibly over-the-top screamo delivery with a cinematic flair that clashed with these intense chaotic dissonance moments, and every member of the band looked like they had just gotten spit out of a local hot topic. It was the perfect MySpace storm for the way the scene was evolving in 2006. So the album came out on May 2nd through Rise Records, didn't sell enough first week to chart on any chart, let alone the top 200, but like I said, it became a MySpace scene hit. There were moments in the culture back in the day that consumed worlds like this, but never made any real kind of commercial footprint. Greeley Estates is a good example. They were such a cool band to like, especially when they went full metalcore and dropped Let the Evil Go East. And that's where DDG were, most of their career, but especially after and because of In Vogue. I mean, if the piano intro to Dress for Friend Request doesn't take you right back to being a scene kid teenager, you missed out on some huge scene nostalgia. So in June and July of that summer, DDG opened a Scars of Tomorrow and Calico System US tour alongside Inked and Blood. After that, they opened a Folly tour alongside Look What I Did and The Human Abstract. Obviously, we all know THA, but Folly and Look What I Did are two big-time MySpace throwbacks. Definitely recommend looking up both of them on Spotify. After that, in September, they opened a five-date run with 18 Visions, Bullet For My Valentine, and Escape the Fate. I mean, man, imagine catching that lineup in 06. 18 Visions was the biggest band on the bill. They had just gotten updrafted to Sony from Trustkill and released their Butt Rock self-titled album, which is actually fantastic, and I'll stand by it till the day I die. But what a snapshot in time of so many intersecting trajectories. Okay, so here's where things get really interesting for DDG specifically. By the end of 2006, they had already left Rise Records and signed to SureTone, which was an Interscope imprint. You might recall our talk about SureTone during the two-part From First to Last Deep Dive last year, 
FFTL dropped their self-titled album on Shirtone in 2007. So after DDG's first album, and not to mention their oldest member was only 20 at this time, they became a major label band. After signing the deal, they went into the studio near the end of 2007 with iconic producer Ross Robinson. Ross is considered the godfather of nu metal. He worked with Slipknot, Korn, Limp Bizkit, and tons of other nu metal bands as the genre was exploding in the late 90s and the early 2000s. He's had his hand in the scene as well, but to less commercial success. He produced from first to last Heroin, a couple Norma Jean albums, and more recently the abysmal self-titled Suicide Silence album. But so he produced the second Drop Dead record, Worse Than a Fairy Tale, which was a concept album that told the story of a serial killer wreaking havoc on a small town called Sailor Lake, and each track is about the 11 murders the killer executed. Another interesting bit about this album is that Wes Borland, most famous as the guitarist for Limp Bizkit, played bass on five songs on this album. But you can hear Ross all over the record. The production is a little more mechanical and not as loose or flary as In Vogue, which took away from the band's sound and attraction overall to their MySpace crowd. Ross kind of takes bands, whatever sounds they are, and makes a record that construction worker bros in middle America might like. Like, think default Breaking Benjamin or old school Linkin Park fans. And that's what Worse Than a Fairy Tale is. It's as butt rock as DDG ever could be. And it's an interesting proposition, but butt rock and MySpace mathcore screamo unfortunately just don't mix well. But it's funny because after they were done recording the album, they went out on the 2007 Rise Records tour with The Devil Wears Prada, Dance Gavin Dance, and At the Throne of Judgment, even though they weren't on the label anymore. So I'm wondering if it was some sort of extending contract agreement that put them on that run, but that, I thought that was pretty funny because they weren't even on Rise anymore. That was in June, and near the end of July, they joined Warp Tour for the remaining dates of that summer. They dropped a double single with They'll Never Get Me, Word With You, and It Sounded Like an Accident. I've never liked They'll Never Get Me much and have always been disappointed that they chose it as the big single push because there are so many better moments on the album for sure. Another fun fact here, It Sounded Like an Accident was co-written with the late Paul Gray, who was the basis for Slipknot. But so the album drops on August 14th, 2007 through Suretone. I don't have a first week number for this because again, it was just so small, but it did give them the biggest top 200 debut of their career at number 139. I think ultimately it was just too soon to pivot the band's sound away from the over-the-top MySpace flare of In Vogue. But following the release of the album, they opened an Aiden U.S. headline tour alongside Still Remains in 1997. In November and December, they went out with Alasana, The Number 12 Looks Like You, and Idiot Pilot. They also replaced Escape to Fate on an Australian Taste of Chaos run near the beginning of 2008, who were obviously going through some things of their own around this time. In January and February, they went out on a U.S. run with Haste the Day, Gwen Stacy, and Scary Kids Scaring Kids. For some reason, I can't find much touring information for 2008 outside of that run for the band, but the big thing that happened in that year was that their keyboardist Aaron Roth left. 
So after DDG, he actually went and played keys for Sonny Moore during Sonny's post-FFTL and pre-Skrillex era. If you've never heard Sonny's Gypsy Hook EP, I highly recommend it. But I always thought that was an interesting trajectory. An ex-Drop Dead Gorgeous member joined Sonny Moore's new band. It didn't last long, though, because after Sonny did a tour with Inner Party System, Aaron left Sonny's band in 2009. So in March and April of 2009, DDG did a tour with Alasana, Fear Before, I Set My Friends on Fire, and With Grace We Fall. I don't know if they recorded their third and what would end up being their final album before or after that tour, but they did so with a very interesting combo of producers for the time, Matt Goldman and Josh Skogan. Skogan is most famous for fronting Norma Jean, The Chariot, now 68, and Goldman had a big hand in the youth group core wave of the mid-2000s to the nail and solid state bands like Under Oath and Anne Berlin. But he also did a few secular records for bands during that time, like Four Letter Lie and Vanna. So Skogan and Goldman do this album with Drop Dead, and there are only two other albums I know of that they both worked on together as producers besides Josh's own bands, As Cities Burns, Son I Loved You at Your Darkest, which is a post-hardcore masterpiece, and The Showdown's A Chorus of Obliteration. But they did a fantastic job on this Drop Dead album. It's called The Hot and Heavy. The record came out on June 2nd, 2009 through Shirtone. Just barely broke the top 200 at 192. I would assume selling well under 2,000 units first week. They headlined two legs of a Hot and Heavy tour. The first with He Is Legend, Before Their Eyes, and, and Then There Were None. And then the second with Eyes Set to Kill, Watch Out There's Ghosts, and Defending the Pilot. Watch Out There's Ghosts was the initial new band of original Skylet Drive vocalist Jordan Blake, and actually they put out one fairly solid EDM album called Ghost Town on Rise in 2009. But after this, in the fall of 2009, Drop Dead went out on a tour with Finch, Bless the Fall of Mice and Men, Vanna, and Let's Get It. In the summer of 2010, they did a co-headliner with From First to Last with support from what was basically the new guard of the scene that was coming up at the time. Sleeping with Sirens, Attila, Abandon All Ships, Woe Is Me, and Scarlett O'Hara. In 2016, Noisy ran a 10-year retrospective on In Vogue and got a quote from Jacob Belcher, who joined the band as a guitarist near the end of their time together in 2010. He said management had them play In Vogue in full on that tour with From First to Last and all those new wave scene bands in an attempt to reinvigorate the fans and momentum that they built up during that 2006 cycle. But it didn't work, and the band played to less and less people as the months pass. Here's what he said of that tour. We would be with bands on that tour, even headlining bands, would be like, In Vogue is what got me into music, it's what made us a band. And then we did the In Vogue tour and no one even came out. And that's really the story of Drop Dead Gorgeous. They fizzled out over the course of a few more small tour runs, and when they were trying to put together ideas for what would have been their fourth album, they slowly drifted apart and never returned again under the name Drop Dead Gorgeous. Belcher said of that time, The intent was to expand out of the scene. They wanted to stop touring with half the bands we toured with, and we didn't want to cater to that crowd. By that time, kids had lost interest. It had been two years since the last record. We separated from Artery. We didn't have a label. Our booking agent dropped us. So we didn't have anyone behind us. It just kind of dissolved, and that was it. In 2013, vocalist Danny Stillman and drummer Danny Cooper formed an alt-rock slash post-hardcore band called Bleach Blonde that released an EP and an album under Rise. There are actually some really solid songs on that album, but the band never really materialized anything much beyond that. 
Other members got involved with multiple side projects, including the Bunny the Bear, Curses, Its Teeth, and a few others. But in 2016, three members of DDG formed an alt-pop project called 888 and dropped a fantastic EP called Critical Mistakes. And I'm not sure how, but they were instantly signed to Island, so again, DDG members on a major label. And that EP actually got them some traction for a minute. The single Critical Mistakes was getting radio play, and I think the label was aiming for some alternate version of 21 Pilots for them. But then they dropped a few more Lucys on Island that didn't catch or go anywhere, and then they just self-released a seven-song project called Everybody Can't Complain in 2018 that went almost completely under the radar. It's a shame, though, because that first EP is fantastic front to back. I wrote about it and 888 a lot during my last summer at Alt Press. But the downside of that initial 888 success was that they weren't able to do any anniversary stuff for In Vogue, which turned 10 in 2016. But it really does just seem like Danny and Aaron and everyone just don't even want to revisit it. Who knows? We'll see. Hopefully some sort of anniversary reunion happens, even if it's in the form of some kind of re-release with some unheard demos from back in the day. Honestly, it would be cool to see them just reunite and sign with Velocity. But all of this to say, Drop Dead's influence is undeniable, even back in the day. You literally heard it from that quote about bands they were on tour with, Sleeping With Sirens, Attila, Abandon All Ships, What Was Me, Scarlet O'Hara, and even now with bands like See You Space Cowboy and If I Die First. Go spin in vogue for me this weekend and pour one out for the MySpace Screamo era. Thank you so much for listening this week. If you have any requests for deep dives, email me at notetoscene at gmail.com. You can subscribe to the show wherever you listen to podcasts. Follow Note to Scene on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. If you enjoy the show, please drop a review on iTunes. I'd appreciate it very much. Until next week, stay safe, and I'll talk to you soon. Music